10 years ago, I was sitting where you were, um, and yet I'm here. And so um, it's crazy, the turn of events, uh, life is, life is um, wild, and you'll find yourself in places that uh, you weren't expecting or you weren't um, feeling that is where you would go, but um, here I am. And so um, I graduated from Mississippi College, and um, I now, like we said, work at Mad Genius in Ridgeland. And so if you ever want to talk about art things, film, photography, graphic design, like illustration, whatever you want to talk about, like if that's you and you want to catch up, like I, I'm your person, I would, I would love to get to know you guys, and I would love to um, talk with you guys about that and just get to know you. But also, I just want to say that last time I taught at Grace City, college. Um, I'm going to share a story. Uh, there was, uh, my roommate was sitting in the crowd and later when we got home he told me that um, he looked over to the person's notes uh, sitting beside him and they were like, he said he saw something they wrote and um, that she had wrote me greater than Jesus in her notes, quote Austin King. And so um, if I'm saying stupid stuff up here and you're like, I don't really know what he's, he's saying, like I promise you I'm no weeks and I haven't been doing this for years and so um, just owning that, you can just leave my name off the, the quotes, but write down whatever you want to. Um, but for real, I, I've been thinking on exactly what I wanted to talk to you guys about tonight. And really, if I'm being completely honest, like what it ended up being was something that for, lately for me has just been um, very difficult for, for my life and something that has been real for me in the season of life that I'm in. And so Tonight, I just want to encourage you guys, and then if you're like, Austin, no, 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 I've never heard this. Um, this has never been something I've thought about. This has never been something that has, you know, struck in my mind in a moment. Like, that's fine. I'm not trying to put things on you that aren't there, but I hope that maybe when you do feel these things, or maybe when they start to well up in you as someone who's following Christ, someone who is looking to aim for him in everything you do, that that you would have this in your back pocket, that this would be something that you would aim at and pull when, when, when maybe the, the rug has been pulled out from underneath you. Um, so uh, to explain what I mean is lately I've had these moments of just extreme anger and may, maybe some bitterness and just frustration towards God. And not anywhere I'm like, God, I'm done with you. I'm out of here, right? That's, that's not necessarily it, but it's just like, I'm so frustrated, right? And it's like, I know how sinful I am. I know I have absolutely no right to be angry or frustrated at God who has been so gracious, so kind, and so loving to me, but it almost takes me over at, out of nowhere. Like, I've found myself at work going out into my car and just collecting myself for a few moments. Um, I've found myself sitting in, in really long meetings and just, like, not focused at all because I'm trying to get myself together, um, and I'm trying to collect myself. I come to the end of the meeting, they're like, Austin, what do you think about that? I'm like, ah, oh, that sounds great. Like, I have no idea what you're talking about. And that's real for me, and I don't know if you've ever experienced that, but um, what I've come to realize after paying attention and, and, and trying to understand these moments of anger and frustration is that it has stemmed from a jealousy of, of people around me. Uh, some of the people that I've been around lately, I'm in a new season of life, I'm with new people, and they don't know Jesus, and, and some of them have big disdain for Jesus and, and who he is and what he has done for them. And yet at sometimes it's like, I see their world, I see what's going on in their life, and it seems to be all at ease. It seems to be all fine. And, and, and these are people that, I'm not, that are not just passively, you know, like doing the things that they're doing. Like they are intentionally, you know, calculated in being unkind and being ungrateful and, and leveraging people beneath them at work for, for gain that they may get or what they might succeed or so that they can be likable so that they can climb the ladder, right? And, and 
I have found myself asking the question, what corners can I cut in my following Jesus? What corners can I too cut in my righteousness and be fine, right? Luckily, that's not the first time that that question has been asked, nor am I the first to ever think of that question. And so if you will, flip with me to Psalm 73, verses 1 through 28. And we'll read the whole thing together. If you guys, I'll give you a second to get there. It says, Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens and their tongue struts through the earth. Therefore, his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. And they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the most high? Behold, these are wicked. Behold, all, sorry, always at ease they increase in riches. All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long I have been stricken and rebu rebuked every morning. If I had said I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God, and then I discerned their end. Truly you set them in slippery places, you make them fall to ruin, how they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors, like a dream when one awakes. O oh Lord, when you roused yourself, you despised them as phantoms. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast towards you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish, but you put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me... It is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all your works. Would you guys pray with me? Dear God, we thank you for tonight. Dear God, we thank you for your word that it would teach us things about who we are when we don't have the correct perception of who we are and whose we are and, and how we work in your grand scheme and, and how we are to live out our lives, how we are to aim for holiness, how we are to be sanctified and how it is this lifelong process of a continual being stricken and being corrected and being rebuked and learning to correct and, 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 and move and shift in ways Lord, that we would still be faithful to you in the end. And so, Lord, I pray for tonight that for people in this room that, man, they're like, following Jesus has been incredibly difficult for me. Following him and it, and it costing something for me has been incredibly hard for me in my world. And so tonight, Lord, I pray that, that we would be encouraged 
that we would be motivated in what we know to be true about the end goal, what we know to be true about what's coming so that now we can continue to be stricken, we can continue to be corrected, we can continue to, to love that and want that from you. And so, God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you've done in our world. Um, and God, we thank you for a moment tonight to take a break from what's going on in our lives, what's happening at school, and, and maybe what's happening at home, or all those other things, Lord, that we can focus in on you, um, the, the God of glory himself. And so we ask these things in your name. Amen. Uh, this psalm, it's one of my favorites because Asap is, he's not pulling any punches here. He's, he's laying all, everything out on the table, and, and it's, it's him being honest, and it's him being vulnerable, and it, it's one, it's, like one of the most vulnerable psalms that we see. Um, and look at verse 13 and 14. That's where we're going to start. It says, All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long I've been stricken. I've been rebuked every morning, right? The psalmist knows the value of correction. He knows the value of rebuke, right? He would probably... Um, he probably would quote to you Proverbs 12, 1, whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. Like this kind of strong word. And again, he knows the blessings of reproof in Proverbs 13, 18. He would probably say poverty and disgrace comes to him who ignores instruction, but whoever heeds reproof is honored, right? This man knows these things. He's not just foreign to following Jesus. Like, it's like when someone at work comes up to me, I work on computers every day, and they're like, it's, I've, it's crashed or something's not working, and they're like, bro, have you turned it on and off? And I'm like, I get that, okay? I've tried that, I promise. And so, like, if someone was to come up to him, he's like, bro, have you, have you tried killing sin? Have you tried, like, trying to be holy? Like, he's like, bro, I have, and I'm trying, okay? He, he understands this, and he gets it, and, and, and man, if that is you tonight, maybe you've been, I don't, I don't know your stories, I don't know your life, but maybe you've been sitting in this room, and you've been following Jesus since you were like 10, right? But, but it has actually started to begin to cost you something. Maybe it started to cost you popularity, maybe it started to cost you circles of friends that you would like to be in, or maybe, maybe it's starting to cost you things in your job or in your work, because that's the world that I live in, and, and so for you, what I would want and hope for tonight is like Paul, he said, let us not grow weary of doing good for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Like I want that for us. I want to know that. I want to claim that. But man, it is more than difficult. And it's, it's not a task that comes with, without cost. Um, and so look at verse 16 and 17 again. This is where the attitude of the psalmist, it, it starts to shift in verse 16. It says, but when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God and then I discerned their end. And like I said, the reason I love this psalm so much is, is his honesty, his vulnerability, his willing to be open to his creator does not show a lack of faith in him, but yet more understanding, more comprehension of, of how he treats us and how he cares for us. It shows a deeper one, not one that's weak, not one that's frail. And it, it's funny how like weakness is turned on its head in the things that we think about with God, because um, this reminds me of the story of the boy who was possessed by a demon in Mark, uh, Mark chapter 9. The father had brought him to the disciples to heal him, and yet they could not, so they brought him to Jesus. And the father said, if you can, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus responds, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Then it says that the father immediately cries out, I believe, help my unbelief, Right? 
And I think, I think that's one of the, uh, the most faith-filled statements in the Bible because he's like, I don't understand. I don't get it. Like, I don't fully comprehend. I'm not great at grasping who you are and how you treat me and, and how to interact and, and, and live there. But he's, he says, I don't believe rightly, but please help me. Like, help me understand. And maybe just the first step to a deeper, more intimate relationship with Christ is not just to sweep our, our frustrations towards him away, but to come into his presence, carrying all of our deepest questions, our deepest longings, and to hold them in both hands as, as we approach the throne to Christ and with him, right? In 1 Corinthians 8, 3, it says, but if anyone loves God, right? If he loves God, he is known by God. Honesty to God correlates to knowing, loving, trusting God in a more full and wider and broader sense. Like, like we said, we want to bring our whole selves to Christ. Like when he says, come in this room and bring it all here. Like he's asking you to lay it all before him. Not just the things that you would hide and the things that you would pick and, and separate and compartmentalize with, with you and Christ. He already knows it and he wants you to be willing to offer it to him, right? So attempting to understand these questions, Asap was asking, was, was tearing his body apart emotionally and physically until he allowed himself to not separate them from the presence of God himself. Now once Asap has opened himself up to the presence of God, he begins to understand his state, his state and the state of the wicked a little more clearly. In verse 18 through 20, we're not going to read it again, he's, he starts to remember that their end is not the same as his. But look what he also begins to see about himself in verse 21 through 22. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast toward you. He starts to see here that his envy and his bitterness and his jealousy is not, it's not without fault either. Like he's not spotless either. And that he has forgotten just how much he did not deserve in the first place from Christ, that his, his grace is more than he deserves. He, he might have spoke a little out of turn, right? He, he maybe is, come, is speaking some degree out of turn with his sin, intertangled with what he believes and what he knows about himself. He might have spoken out of place, but look how beautifully the next verse is in verse 23. It says, nevertheless, I'm continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel and afterward you will receive me to glory. Once he begins to realize maybe that he, he spoke out of turn and that the things that he's feeling might be intertangled with his sin and with his bitterness and with his envy, like it would have been so easy for him to be like, man, God, I spoke out of turn. Like, I can't believe I said these things to you, God. I'm gonna, I'm gonna recoil and I'm, I'm gonna back up and move away from you, right? Because I shouldn't have spoke like that. But Christ comes and he grabs his hand and he says, walk with me. He has not left him. He is not going to leave him. And Asap knows he's, he's, he's gonna stay. And like, it's like if you've ever vented or talked to a friend and, and you've been like, you just blurted out everything in front of them. You're, you're saying all this stuff to them and, and then later you get home and you're like, oh my gosh, like, did they wanna hear that? Like, should I have said all of those things? And it's like, ooh, and your next time you're like, what are they thinking about me after I said all that? And it, 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 it's the same thing that, that Christ has not left the room and that he wants to hear those things from you. Even in his fault, he knows that Christ does not leave or he's not forsaken, he's not discarded in all of his thoughts and all of his weaknesses and, and not being able to grasp what's truly going on in his world. He grabs his hand and he continues to walk him to glory. 
in Psalm 103, 9 through 11, it says, He will not always accuse us, nor harbor his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sin or repaid us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving devotion to those who fear him. And the last thing that I think is, like as I was reading this, and it, it really was probably the greatest thing to see in this in this passage um, is what ASAP's longings reveal about each and every one of us in this room and every room across the globe, right? Every human, every human being in the world. In verse 23, ASAP says, afterwards, you will receive me to glory. Like at our core, we are glory seekers. We are people who are bent on wanting and seeking and finding glory. Like it is hardwired into who we are. It's hardwired into us as human beings and we are bent on finding that. Like you don't have to train a little kid to, to want to hear the cheers of someone as he rounds third base, right? Like that is who we are. Asaph is frustrated because he too hopes one day there will be glory for him also. The problem is an envious heart can't fathom a God who is limitless in his expressions of pleasure and overflowing love, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, patience to you. Like at the very end of the book of John, and it's one of my favorite books because in, in John he says, he says, I have written this so that you may believe. Like he point blank writes that in John and then he writes this story. Jesus looks at Peter and he tells him that he is going to have a pretty rough ending to his life. And Peter's response is, but Jesus, what about John? And Jesus quickly responds with, what is that to you? You follow me. Like we do this not just with lost people, we do it to, to our own brothers and sisters, our own people who follow Christ together. Like Peter couldn't believe that Christ had enough goodness and glory and kindness to go around tenfold. Like he was wondering, God, but what about me? Like my ending's not gonna be great, but, but what about me? Like John gets this. We struggle to imagine a glory so big that it could take away the sting we feel on this side of heaven. The sting of being poor while another is rich, of being single while another is married, of giving our best to make mediocre paintings while someone else can instantly craft a masterpiece, of being less physically attractive than another human being in the room. We can't imagine a glory that is rich enough and we struggle to imagine God who is eternally resourceful in all of his glory giving. The problem is that our glory searching, in our glory searching, we often look the glory giver himself. We overlook the one that it all stems from. And that's not the first time this has happened. The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world didn't know him. He came to his own and his own people didn't receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And Asap closes in, in the same way in Psalm 73. In verse 28, he says, but for me, it's good to be near God. 
I have made the Lord my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. He concluded, and he found that the person which all the glory stems from is finally his. It is his in the end. And in his being willing to open himself to Christ and being to bring his whole self to Christ, he starts to begin to realize and understand his story better, the story of the evil people around him, and then he begins to see that Christ is his, right? That in offering our whole selves, in offering everything that we have, we begin to see our stories far more clearly than we ever can imagine. And in turn, we also get glory giver himself. King Jesus. His glory is now ours forever, even though we are stricken every day and even though we deserve hell. He is ours. And so I, I want to kind of wrap things up by reading, um, this is a quote by A.W. Tozer that I read a while back, and man, it has been like a light on really hard days for me. Um, and so I just want to read that, and it's going to take me a second, but um, yeah, just listen closely to the words that he says here, because I think they're painting a, a picture that is, um, that is multifaceted in a million ways. And so he says this, there are two kinds of ground, fallow ground and ground that has been broken up by the plow. The fallow field is smug, contented, protected from the shock of the plow and the agitation of the harrow. Such a field as it lies year after year becomes a familiar landmark to the crow and the blue jay. Had it intelligence, it might take a lot of satisfaction in its reputation. It has stability. Nature has adopted it. It can be counted upon to remain always the same. While the fields around it change from brown to green and back to brown again, safe and undisturbed, it sprawls lazily in the sunshine, the picture of sleepy contentment. But it is paying a terrible price for its tranquility. Never does it feel the motions of mounting life, nor see the wonders of bursting seed, nor the beauty of ripening grain. Fruit it can never know, because it is it a it is afraid of the plow and the harrow. In direct opposite to this, the cultivated field has yielded itself to the adventure of living. The protecting fence has opened to admit the plow, and the plow has come as plows always come, practical, cruel, businesslike, and in a hurry. Peace has been shattered by the shouting farmer and the rattle of machinery. The field has felt the travail of change. It has been upset, turned over, bruised, and broken but its rewards come hard upon its labors. The seed shoots up into the daylight, its miracle of life, curious, exploring the new world above it. All over the field, the hand of God is at work in the age-old and ever-renewed service of creation. New things are born to grow, mature, and consummate the grand prophecy latent in the seed when it entered the ground. Nature's wonders follow the plow. And like verse 14 says of Psalm 73, for all the day long I've been stricken and rebuked every morning. But oh, the beauty and the goodness that is being brought into your world because you are being crushed for a moment. Because you have let the plow come into your life. You've let it rip apart the things that you thought were right, the things that you thought were correct. And you've let it pierce into your soul, shaping who you are, shaping every interaction that you walk into in every moment of your day. It has now started to form you into a person, into a character, 
that is Jesus Christ himself. In 2 Corinthians 3, 18, it says, We all with unveiled faces behold the glory of, God, of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So if you're someone here tonight who, who has been following Jesus for a while, what I hope for you is that you would know what you're getting. Like you would know the end goal. You would know what's happening in your world and what is going to continue to happen throughout the rest of your life. Like it does not end after college. It doesn't end in the next phase of life that you will continue to be shaped, to be crushed, to be corrected by the word itself and by God himself. And that you would know, even on the days when you're like, I get it, like I need to be holy, but I'm tired. Like I am weary. That you would know that there is something coming. And that it is a glory that is far greater than you could ever imagine. It is a glory that will overtake every pain that you felt this side of heaven. And it will cover them all. And for someone, if you're here and you're like, I don't really know Jesus. And I don't really know what he wants for me or, or how he cares for me. I would hope that you would know that the glory that you're seeking in all places of your life, it's stemming from him. And the glory that you're after, I would want you to not have the cheap version. I want you to have the real thing. So if you will pray with me. Dear God, thank you for tonight. Lord, I thank you for a moment to just be able to be in this room with these people, um, to be here and talk about you in, in, in a lot of different ways. And Lord, how it's been difficult for me. And Lord, how my life has often like been reflective of envy and of jealousy and of just anger towards you and frustration. But Lord, that I would walk and that we would walk honestly and openly before you, bringing all the cares of our world and not pushing them aside, not ignoring them because the things that we ignore, like sensing and feeling in our world, like when we ignore those things, we're ignoring part of you. And so Christ, um, I ask that we would be able to pay attention to what's going on in our lives, that we would take time to understand those things and wonder what they're teaching us about you. And God, I pray tonight that we would be confident in and not just, like Week says, intellectually know or, or have in our brains that we can just blurt out, but we would feel deep in our bones that there is a glory that is coming that will surpass everything. And that the things that we are feeling and, and worrying about and, and wishing would ease today, Lord, that that glory will overcome them all. And that we would dream and we would imagine something that big. So Lord, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for the blood that you shed. And Christ, that, that you would be willing to come after us. That you would be willing to seek us out and look for us in the mess and in the sin that we wallow in. Lord, we love you and we ask all these things in your name.